Welcome aboard Costume Station Zero with part two with my chat here with Johanna Mead. Hello. Hello. And we're going to keep on talking about Doctor Who goodness here. So with all the costumes you've done, uh, the original interpretation of the Time Agent, the Ren Fair, and then on the other hand you've done the Ronnie and Romana, where do you land in terms of uh, a recreation of a character versus an original interpretation? Which do you prefer? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I think actually I, I prefer to do recreations, I must admit, because they, they are more easily identifiable uh, by, by fellow fans mm-hmm. uh, at a convention. And, you know, you wear a costume you know, for it to be seen, mm-hmm. and it does kind of interrupt the energy if you've got to stop and explain or, or deal with a bunch of puzzled glances askance. Um, uh, I, but I, mean, I really enjoy doing both. But, you know, if you said I, I have to give up one or the other, I suppose I'd give up the, the original interpretations, but I'd really miss them. I, I'm, you know, I'm so big on it. There's, there's no right way or wrong way to cast them. You, 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 you do what you enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as long as you're having fun, you know, power to you. Uh, as I said, I, I'm just constantly challenged in, in trying to keep to my own... Um, methodology of of um costuming t- to my body type shall we say right. uh, like i said you know the whole you know i i'm, I'm not tall and skinny and never will be mm-hmm. and um and i hard hard to believe but i i can feel quite self-conscious mm-hmm. sometimes i'm wearing a costume and uh being english i can actually you know die of embarrassment so <laughs> I'm, I'm sure i'm sure it's happened so um Quite often, I will find myself looking at a costume and going, I really like that costume. Mm-hmm. But if I recreate it, literally, as we see it on the screen, I will look terrible. So, uh, well, I mean, I, I know how you feel about screen accuracy. You'd rather do the 10-foot rule in that case. But it does sound like you do take a lot of stock in casting yourself as well as you can to the part. Yeah, well, I think that's part of being a cosplayer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And I know there's, there's, there's a lot of discussion about cosplayer versus costumer. And actually, more often than not, I say, I'm a person in costume. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's because I, I mean, I, I love how, like you and, and various other cosplayers I know, will we'll role play the character, which I generally do not do, um, mm. just because quite often I'm just not that fast on my feet. Um, the only exception being with the original Time Agent. Uh, uh, I came of course. Up with pers- yeah, I came up with the personality for her really quick. Actually, she she was good fun. Um, but uh, with the exception of like little kids, because I remember one one of my favorite memories of wearing the Romana Androids Atara rig was uh, some child whose parents had bought it up right because it recognized the costume. Mm-hmm. 
you know, little, little girl, eight years old. Well, she couldn't remember the character's name. She couldn't remember. She comes running out going, "Purple lady, purple lady." Mm-hmm. Right, right. And and she started talking to me uh, as if I was the character, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm not going to, you know, bust this little kid's bubble." So I, I did the best I could uh, uh, to keep up. Um, I thought she reminded me of, of another incident with, of wearing a costume in a public space outside mm-hmm. of the science fiction convention, uh, which was a hoot. Um, a friend of mine was taking a sociology class, I think it was, and she was told um, that for an assignment, she needed to go out and break social norms for a day, which never mind the discussion as to what exactly a social norm is, mm-hmm. and observe reactions. And she uh, talked to me about helping out. And so what we ended up doing was I broke the social norm. I, I spent the day walking around uh, Union Square in San Francisco in uh, the first version of the Femi 10 rig. Ah. Um, yeah, and, and she was sort of adjacent and, and watching reactions. And we, we role-played a bit as well. She, she had sort of not quite street clothes on. She was playing an original uh, character that she'd, she'd created in a Doctor Who role-playing uh, game. And so we would occasionally stop and like admire some San Francisco landmark and chatter away in character. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of also be with one eye and one ear on how tourists are reacting. I think a lot of them thought we were an act uh, put on, you know, by the city to entertain <laughs> tourists and things. Although there was a great reaction at one point. We, we'd walked into a shop to, to look at something. And the, the, the woman behind the counter was looking at us and looking at us. And finally she walks over and she goes, are you a fan of Doctor Who? Yeah. And nice. I, I, for one second, I just managed to hold it together long enough and look at her and say, never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Before I broke out in the giggles. And so, yeah, yeah. And she was the only person. We, we walked around for about two hours. Mm-hmm. And she was the only person who even approached us, uh, let alone actually got the reference. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, that was really fun because, I, you know, usually I, I keep my costume wearing to science fiction or Halloween or, you know, a, a space where it's appropriate. Uh, yeah, no, we often talk about knowing your venue uh, completely with your costume. Do you have any other um, best or favorite moments, um, you know, in costume, um, any of your costumes? Um, oh, gosh, let me think for a second. I'm going to have to pull up the notes that I just had to file, I had to close. Um, as I said, that, that moment in the Femi 10 was, was, was fantastic. Um, a, a moment that I think was... It, it, it isn't exactly a favorite moment. It was a memorable moment. Was uh, uh, it was not a Doctor Who costume. Uh, it was an. I just got invited to a Halloween party on sort of fifteen minutes' notice, and can I throw together a costume? I didn't have anything. This was actually before I really started sewing, and I had just finished reading a novel by Anthony Burgess called *The Wanting Seed*. Uh, he's the author of *Clockwork Orange*. Um, *Wanting Seed* was another dystopian novel that he wrote, and in it there was this um, sort of. Uh, uh, queer, queenie, fascist, homosexual police force called the Grey Boys. Um, and more the point, very simple costume to put together. It was black trousers and a grey shirt and a black cravat, mm-hmm. black hair, black lipstick, very heavy black eyeliner, um, uh, and belt with a nightstick. So I just kind of threw that all together and I was like, well, no one's going to know what I am unless they've read this Anthony Purchase novel. Um, and went to the party and uh, by the end of the evening, I discovered that everyone thought I was some kind of Robert Palmer video model on Bad Acid. So <laughs> uh, because of the slick back hair and the extreme makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was kind of the first time of, hmm, you know, costuming something kind of obscure is, you know, can be fun for me, but a little baffling for everyone else. Uh, but sure. it, was, it, was, it was a fun moment, though, in, in that I was really proud that I pulled together a costume of, of stuff I had on my shelf mm-hmm. uh, at, at the last minute. 
and um, and and it worked. I mean, maybe no one's got that got it, but it was a costume. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think those would have to be sort of the top two. Oh, there was the Avon lady. Oh, I can't believe I forgot about the Avon lady. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends and I, it was originally a gang of five of us, but in the end it was only two of us ladies. We're all big fans of Blake 7. Oh, I was wondering, is this a Blake 7 Avon lady? Yes. And and so we all called, you know, we, we, we called each called dibs on a different uh, particular costume that, that Paul Darrow wore during his, his tenure in Blake 7. And I uh, very firmly called dibs on the, no, my fandom doesn't embrace BDSM, we swear, black leather and silver studs ensemble. Right. Um, and and did sort of a femi version of that, but the running joke was yes, we were the Avon ladies, you know, free salt scrub with every planetary destabilization. <laughs> uh, think revolution, think Avon, <laughs> and um, yeah. So I'm walking around in this black vinyl skirt that's embellished with studs and a little jacket that's got the silver piping and the shoulder studs on it, and a little pillbox hat, um, and. I think because it was, I was kind of short in costumes, I bought it to Galley, what the heck. And everyone thought I was something from Paradise Towers. Ah, right. Yes. And, and then, which had totally not occurred to me until somebody said that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was like, no, no, I'm just a really dreadful pun. <laughs> and then somebody else said, okay, sort of Femi Avon. But I was like, yeah, yeah unfortunately, th- it would have worked had, had we had the whole group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I said, in the end, it was just two of us uh, at, at the convention that was targeted. That was Bacon. Um, but uh, and and th- these days, you know, I, I, I've worn it a couple more times since then, and just let people make up their own mind. Mm-hmm. If they if, if they ask me, I'll explain it. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, let them think it's Paradise Towers, I guess. <laughs> well, with all of these, um, you know, somewhat obscure characters, or even the somewhat established ones, have you ever had a very Particularly a funny or strange misidentification for a character you've done. Uh, well, yeah, the Avon lady was. Uh, well, you know, was. was you know, I I thought that was amusing because uh, uh, at that point when that misidentification happened, I hadn't actually seen Paradise Towers. So oh. I, was, I went back to my room and bought up the internet and went, oh, oh yeah, okay, oh gosh, uh, oops. Um, at that point, no. Um, I generally either people absolutely get what I'm doing because I'm doing a screen, you know, trying to do a screen accurate recreation, or it's absolute incomprehension. Mm-hmm. I, I don't seem to really hit a middle ground that leads to hilarious tales of misidentification. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, so I can't regale you with any anecdotes in that regard. Oh no, I just I'm always curious. Sometimes it's it's funny what you get, you know, misidentified as. You're like, what? And yeah, it's very. Very happy, you're right. It doesn't always happen, and uh, you know, or it's very common to happen with a character that's you know more original. In which case, you're you know, you know that's going to happen. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so conversely, uh, what uh, what has been some of your not so good experiences in costume or costume mishaps? Um, I I have had. Uh, like I said the, the Bajoran thing with the seams coming apart. So thank God it was just when I was getting dressed uh, in the hotel room. So, you know, rather than when I was walking the halls, because it was a side scene that went from armpit to hip. Mm-hmm. So that, that would have been incredibly embarrassing. Had a similar issue with a pair of latex trousers when I was cosplaying as Trinity. Um, I was actually at work. Uh, I was working at a place that cheerfully encouraged us to wear Halloween costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I came to work in my Trinity gear, but thank God I listened to that little voice that said, pack your street clothes. <laughs> Because I'm sitting at my desk and um, the latex trousers went out in exactly the place you think latex trousers would rip. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, you know, thank God for the modesty panel on my desk. I was able to grab my jeans from my bag and wiggle into them, you know, over the latex uh, at my desk and, and and run and fix. So that was, you know, a bit horrifying. Again, I said, you know, almost died of embarrassment, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I've had a couple of mishaps in the green room. Uh, I, I made the mistake of, of I was I was really 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 hungry and I was in costume waiting to go on at a masquerade as somebody hands me a chocolate covered strawberry and I promptly dropped on my light blue and white Victorian skirt mm. yeah um, fortunately you know wet paper towels and heck it's a 10 foot rule and the lighting's not good anyway don't think anyone's going to say that was a great costume Johanna shame about the chocolate stain Right. but you know when you're all keyed up about to go on stage uh, that's really the last thing you need but it's in my own darn fault <laughs> uh, since then, uh, you know, I, I, I like I think many customers, you know, once I'm in costume, I don't eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know, pass me a glass of water, absolutely, but that's the most dangerous thing I'm going to let come near my let come near my costume. Right, right, yeah. Unfortunately, that does become a bit of a practical issue if you're in it all day. I mean, I can be a camel and do that too, but there comes a point you got to eat a little something just to keep your energy level up. Otherwise, you find well, you know, you just you just get loopy after a while. Get mean mm-hmm. uh, or run down, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, well, I got to admit, usually I have a, a something non-messy in the bag, like a granola bar, mm-hmm. or, or you know, meat jerky or something. Yes, and if I drop it on the costume, it's not going to make a stain. Mm-hmm. Uh, ab- absolutely. Um, although I've been accused, that's why you know I made von pin because it was all black and shiny, and so if anything got spilled on it, it would wipe right off. Mm-hmm. Uh, which fortunately never happened. Um, that was that was a very challenging costume to make, though. Um, may I never ever sew anything in metallic spandex ever again. <laughs> uh, it's as unforgiving as, as as vinyl and leather, of course, and costs about twice as much. So uh, that was that was tough. Was that the hardest costume you ever put together? Um, yeah, I think so because I, I was learning a lot of new things at the same time. Um, I, I part of it had to be draped, and I was draping a knit, which you're supposed never supposed to do, but mm-hmm. I did that so I went ahead and did it anyway so um, and I was taking you know half it to knit this metallic spandex and attaching it to a bottom half that was a fake patent leather this, this gorgeous heavy uh, vinyl that I picked up from somewhere and she wears this sort of breastplate thing that I had to make out of Wonderflex and then cover it in vinyl and attach these pieces that I'd cast um, out of a, a watercolor palette and some resin uh, you know, and those had to be attached. And I said, there was all these little fiddly leather bits and uh, chain links and D-rings. And unfortunately, the character was, t- you know, drawn quite, you know, she's tall and thin. And I took all the elements that you see visible on the costume and put them on my mannequin. There wasn't room for all of them. <laughs> you know, vertically, there's a lot more of one pin than there is of me. Mm-hmm. So I had to make the decision about, okay, which, which bits are really essential and, and which bits can I do without? Mm-hmm. And um, that was that was really um, just just using this variety of these different difficult materials. I, I really hit the trifecta. I had leather, I had vinyl, and I had um, this metallic spandex, all of which are just horribly unforgiving fabrics. So that there was no going back and unpicking stuff. I did it wrong, uh, and, and that was tough. Um, yeah, it paid off though. It, it looked smashing when it was done. I must admit, I was really happy with how it turned out. Well, that's um, all that matters in the end. Right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that's true. And another big challenge I had was I did um, there was a very short-lived show called The Secret Adventures of Jules Verne, mm-hmm. uh, which was ahead of its time. It would be a real hit now, the steampunk crowd. 
and this lead character, Rebecca Fogg, had she wore a full Victorian cage crinoline dress, but she could quick change out of it with the help of editors um, into this. <laughs> she had a black sort of, you know, a cat suit on with sort of this action corset, as I called it. You know, it was, it was sort of a you know, bat utility belt and a silver leather corset, and her cage crin unraveled into a rope ladder. Mm-hmm. And she had all these sort of straps and gears on, on the cat suit underneath. And so naturally I saw that and said, oh, I want to make that. As you do. Yes, that is the customer's epitaph. It's a long, thoughtful look, and I can make that. So I didn't have editors, you know, to do the quick change. So I I had to figure out how to cheat the costume to put it together and make it look like it was authentic Victorian. And again, I I wanted to use period patterns so that I could recycle it for the Dickens Fair, Mm -hmm. Uh, but still strip out of it in – it was less than five seconds – yeah, I, I, you know, because the presentation number I did was you know, basically walked out on stage, and you know, in, in the full Victorian rig, and I'm stripped down to the the corset and the and the bodysuit, uh, very very quickly. Mostly because the skirt and the cage crin was sewn to each other, held up with a string that was clutched bit as I walked on, mm-hmm. and then it was Velcro keeping the bodice closed, but with buttons you know over it, and there was no shirt; it was a dicky, and so yeah, it was it was um. And it was very dramatic. Uh, it was it was a wonderful stage costume uh, because the point of it was lost walking down the halls. No, really, I've got a whole other costume underneath on this one. Trust me. <laughs> but but that wasn't very challenging in terms of materials; just an actual construction. Mm-hmm. Just how, how can I do a, how can I replicate an effect that required video editing to achieve? Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, uh, apparently, I was like one of only a dozen people in California who watched that show. <laughs> So, again, it was one of those. Trust me, if you've seen the show, it was awesome. Yeah, so unfortunately, the, the recognizability factor wasn't there. No, no, but it was, it was again, it was, it was so much fun to make. So that was, that, that was the key part. Now, you ran the masquerade at Gallifrey in, um, what was that, 2010? I, I forget. It was a few years back. Yes, um, it, was, it was a hoot. Um, I, I really like organizing those things because, truth be told, I get terrible stage fright. So I, I really don't like um, – I, I like the notion of masquerades and, and people getting a chance to show off their costume on stage. Um, I just can't do it because uh, – well, I can, but I'm terrified and greed and shaking and just it's not good. Um, I don't present well. So, okay, well, how else can I help, you know, help out with these things? Mm-hmm. And I, um, that's, I, I started off like, like most – masquerade folk just helping out in the green room uh, you know helping crawl the entrance and helping the judges and then stepped up to doing some judging, workmanship judging because um, that's where my interest is rather than presentation and besides it gives me the excuse to talk to all these customers and sure. get their costumes up close and go how'd you do this? Mm-hmm. So awesome um, I'd always learn something new uh, while backstage in a masquerade and so it was a very natural progression to um, because, yeah, back, back in 2010 or whatever that was, that, or 2009, there was, you know, the, the, the you know, costume had been kind of absent from Gallifrey for a while. And, and they, they, you know, there hadn't been a masquerade for several years. They canceled it for lack of interest. That's right. Yeah, the first new mask they did was 08, I remember. And yes. then it's been growing steadily since then. Well, well now it's the headline event on Saturday night, as mm-hmm. it sh- she says. As it should be, yes. Um, so, yeah. Um, and, and so part of my wanting to get involved... Uh, with the masquerade back then was was 
just because like, well, we want to see costuming happen at Gallifrey. And if no one else is going to uh, be available to, to run the masquerade, because the first year I was back at Galley, it was being run by the tech, you know, was it Hillary's name? The tech team. And they had too much on their plate with just being the tech team. Um, so there was definitely a bit of our resources are just too strained to run a masquerade. So mm. if someone else was to step up and volunteer, gosh, we'll have a masquerade. Famous last words. Yeah. And, uh, um, well, I know Jeff Adams Kelly is is uh, in charge of that that particular beast now. Yes, she is. It's, it's fantastic, and I'm I'm just, I'm just so glad the costumings come back to that convention, mm-hmm. uh, back to Doctor Who fandom in general. Um, but you know, I'm biased. I'm a costumer, so of course I'm happy to see a costuming come back. But would I be a costumer if it hadn't been for Doctor Who? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I always say that you know, uh, uh, Doctor Who and Blake Seven are the two shows that made me who I am today, mm-hmm. <laughs> for good and ill. <laughs> and costuming is definitely a part of that on both sides. Very true, very true. There needs to be more Blake 7 costuming. Oh, you know, honey, if I ever see 120 pounds again, I'm going to be land so much, but let's not hold our breaths. <laughs> My friends and I keep talking about doing a, a crew of, um, well, we talked about a Blake crew, but we also talk about a Red Dwarf crew, so hopefully one of these days that will happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be fun. Because yeah. you never see a whole crew. You'll see like a Rimmer, a Lister, you never see all of them. No, and that'd be effect that that'd be great because you know, sometimes those group concepts really uh, uh, carry such much more of a punch mm-hmm. with people. Yeah, I've seen a couple of really great cats up here. Mm-hmm. Now I think of it, but yeah, a whole red dwarf crew that'd be great. Actually, I think on my someday list was doing a Federation soldier, but I don't know uh, along the lines of the Valkyrie about wearing an all-enclosing mask like that. Mm-hmm. Uncomfortable pretty quickly. I don't know how you cope with wearing the Valk robot. Or the Cyberman or the Morbius. Yes, yeah, exactly. Oh, God, the Morbius. That was so awesome. Anyway, <laughs> before we lapse into mutual admiration. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, but you don't wear the costumes for very long, do you? It's, it's you know, an hour, hours at most. Well, yeah, the Morbius I can really only take for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And the, um, what is it, the Valk? The Valk I tend to do for about a three hour stretch. And I think the Cyberman, I've been building up a tolerance. I know that one of the last. <laughs> Last times I wore it, probably at Gallifrey in, in 2011 or something, uh, I know I counted and I did probably like a seven-hour stretch in that thing, and I cannot believe I did that. Um, you must have sweated off an entire seat size by I'm the end. I'm sure I did. I'm sure. I know as soon as I take that helmet off, I'm chugging like an entire you know gallon of water. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I saw you once when you were taking the helmet off, and I was a little worried for your safety. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, please sit that boy down, get him something to drink. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and indeed, that's one of the pieces of advice I give to beginning costumers is bear in mind the comfort level while you wear the costume, and and can you move in that costume? Mm-hmm. And that all just comes back to uh, you know giving it a test fit, assuming that you haven't run it up to the deadline. If you don't, uh, if you have the time, if you have the cushion time, then yes, put it on, check the comfort, check the heat. Yeah, the, yeah, run it up to the deadline. I don't know what you're talking about. All the best selling is done in the hotel room in the morning of the event, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, such fun. Um, well, yes. I mean, when I'm talking to particularly the live action role players and uh, you're doing the Renaissance and the medieval and the fantasy thing, and you're like, well, before you uh, walk around in that dress with those floor dragging sleeves, mm-hmm. member of the royal court, you really want to practice walking around in that. Uh, in private first, because you are not going to be able to project an air of, you know, royal authority if you step on your sleeves and fall over. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, of course, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, w- watching Game of Thrones, I'm always amazed that the woman playing Queen Cersei didn't tread on her costume more than she did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I- I'm sure there's some outtakes out there. Uh, 
of, of truly awful uh, incidences, but I don't know. I'm sure there are. Um, uh, you know, I do ask uh, what what advice um, you know you'd have for beginning customers. If you have anything else, or actually in particular, um, what what are your favorite places to you know source materials, whether whether it be fabric or or whatnot? You know, I always like to try to tell people, hey, here are places to go to get your project started. You know, whether it's uh, it's local or online. Yeah. Well, uh, advice for beginning customers is. Uh Definitely anyone can learn how to sew. Do not be intimidated. And it's really easy to learn. Um, here in the United States, of course, uh, any fabric store, Joann's is the big chain. Uh, they'll do lessons for free on, on their machines. you just got to buy the pattern and the fabric um, and because they want you to learn how to sew and come into the store and spend money there. So, And the basics are really, really not, not do not be that intimidated. They're, they're really quite easy to learn. And once you're started, then you just, it's, you know, first hits free, baby. Mm-hmm. And from building on those skills, it's it's not that difficult. There are a lot of good books out there. I actually recommend, um, for, for again, for beginners, there is a series of books that were put out by under, under the Singer brand, uh, little blue hardback books called like Sewing, Singer Sewing Essentials was the first one. And then they have, you know, themed books like working with special occasion fabrics or making pants that fit or whatever. Um, and you can pick those up at a used bookstore for you know three four dollars, so it's it's really really a cheap place to start. And of course, YouTube has been a great resource for um, how tos, visual how tos, on on sewing techniques. That perhaps if you're looking at directions in a pattern, you're going, I don't get this. You'll you'll find somebody's made a little video showing you how to do it, uh, like how to attach a lining or, or how to turn a pattern or something, uh, which is great. And it's, anyone can learn how to sew. If I can learn how to sew, anyone can. But then also, you don't have to be a sewer to be a costumer. Um, you know, you, you can put together uh, costumes with, you know, off-the-rack items. Or, you know, maybe you might want to dye something, and that's as far as it has to go. But uh, a costumer is not necessarily a seamstress. Uh, not, not always. Sooner or later, you'll learn, I think. But, but you don't have to start that way. It helps to learn, but yes, uh, no, no. I mean, I, I only can do very basic sewing myself, and uh, and I definitely, it's one of those things where every time I do learn more things in the skill set, I go, you know what, for everything I'm learning, this is great, but I need to go back, and not that I need to be a, an expert tailor and know how to put together a suit jacket right away, but yes, it, it definitely helps. Those are skills that only help you in the long term for repairs or just saving a few bucks from taking it to a tailor to hem up some pants last minute, you know, basic stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. If if I if I actually charged people for all the pairs of pants I've hemmed as favors, well, you know, I wouldn't be a rich woman, but I'd be a less broke. Um, Obviously. Oh yeah. Um, now, as as for places to go, um, well, of course, you know, my 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 favorite favorite place, but I only get there once every three years, is the Fabric District down in Los Angeles. Of course, um, I, I love going there. But um, here up in the San Francisco Bay Area, we've got a couple of really good um, outlet discount fabric places. Um, I think Joanne's is a scourge, unfortunately, because they, they, they stock for quilters and crafters. They don't stock for customers, no. uh, except sometimes around Halloween. But even then, it's, it's not stuff most Doctor Who customers can use. Uh, so there are a couple of stores here in San Francisco. There's the Fabric Outlet, and then there's Discount Fabrics. Um, one's in the Mission, one's in South of Market. They're found online. And they have great selections of upholstery and special occasion and spandex. And because they're outlet stores, it's often stuff that's been remaindered. So you have to hunt and hunt and hunt and, you know, go there frequently. Um, 
because uh, the selection's always changing. And if you find something you like, you've got to buy it right away because mm. you don't know how long it's going to be there for. But hunting's half the fun sometimes. And the other thing I, I used to do very, very often, quite religiously, was, of course, go thrift store hunting. Oh, yes. For, for pieces that I could either alter or take apart or use for the fabric or use as is. And, um, but again, with thrift stores, you know, you, you, uh, it used to be I'd have a circuit of about half a dozen. And every couple of weeks, I, I would you know, go do the circuit and, and see what I could find. Um, a friend of mine uh, has a practice, which I keep meaning to adopt, but she keeps a little binder of pictures, reference pictures of costumes that she wants to work on. Yes keeps it in her bag all the time mm-hmm. so if she happens to be in a store and she sees something and goes oh would those shoes be a good match or would that jacket be a good match she can pull out the binder instead of relying on her memory mm-hmm. now these days if you've got a smartphone you know perhaps you could keep the pictures in your smartphone or ipad yeah no scott is the the guy who started this with me and yeah i try and do it all the now i'm not perfect about it sometimes i am truly at a store and i you know i don't have my reference material and i'm like uh you know i hate that you know because you don't know if you want to trust your memory but yes if you can at least keep it in your car because, you yeah. know, invaluable. And then, yeah, then for online resources, um, I quite often end up finding uh, buying from Denver Fabrics, which is kind of the 500-pound gorilla, as far as I can tell, of online fabric suppliers. Right now, denverfabric.com and um, uh, Silk Baron, uh, who I think sources his material out of India. So you can get silk and silk, you know, silk taffeta and silk chiffon and gorget and things from him. Mm-hmm. Half the price you'd pay. Um, and where else have I gone lately? Uh, Fabric Empire. Um, although, to be honest, they can be a little slow in turning around their orders, so don't order from them if you're in a hurry. What I do like is that more online fabric sellers now have gotten smart to offering free or very low price swatches mm-hmm. so that you can bracket your choices. Like, I think that's the right shade, but I'm going to bracket near two shades on either side. Buck a swatch, great. You know, and, and, uh, and then you can decide. Uh, what you're getting. When I bought the silk I, for, for Mercy Hartigan, I got it from uh, Silk Baron, and I ordered some swatches, and I was really impressed because he actually sent me three, saying, I've got three different dialots of that silk in stock right now. Hmm. So you pick which one you like. And I was like, you just got a customer for being that considerate. Very much, yes. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I knew I was starting to get obsessive when I, when I was making the Romana rig, and uh, I I was running low on the turquoise satin that's used for the buttons and the piping elements. And I went back to the store where I bought it, and I noticed it was a different bolt uh, of, the, of the satin that I, than I bought previously. Mm-hmm. And I stood there and fretted and fretted and fretted about it being a different dye lot. Mm-hmm. And, and would it be visible on these buttons? Um, whereupon, once again, I, I think my husband came by with a cup of tea and said, Honey... <laughs> I was like, no, I'll have to redo all the buttons and all the piping to make sure they all match. Fortunately, it became a non-issue. I did not run out of the fabric in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the great thing is I was relating this story to some fellow costuming friends. Like, you notice that none of us are going, you know, you nut, Johan? We're like, oh, yeah, different dialogue. Mm, tricky. <laughs> <laughs> they understood. They all understood. We nod sagely, yes. And then the other piece of advice I would give to beginning costumers uh, which sort of ties in with the take your shop classes is practice some safety when you're using word materials, um, particularly adhesives. I know um, there's a panel, I think I've run it at Gallifrey called the Customers Hardware Store. Mm-hmm. And, and we talk about those kind of non-traditional tools and materials that you might have in your workshop as a customer. And 
uh, I have pretty much done every single thing that will harm you as a customer uh, out of sheer impatience and stupidity. So um, when you're using your bench grinder to grind the steel for the corsets you're making, for God's sake, wear your goggles and a breathing mask. Um, customer's lung is not pleasant. Uh, I also managed to get myself high as a kite by using metal polish in a non-ventilated space. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, that was not one of my finest moments. Thank God. Uh, once again, if it wasn't for my husband, I, I wouldn't be here today. He came in to see how I was doing, opened the door to my sewing room, and sort of stepped back, staggering and coughing, and and sort of opened a window and asked, "Because what the hell was I playing at? Well, it's raining outside." <laughs> yeah, honey, your pupils are the size of saucers. Um, yes, and I kept all my adhesives in one drawer in an enclosed box where the fumes could mix nicely. Mm-hmm. He always said that if we came home and find the house burnt to the ground, the fire marshal would say, well, we managed to trace the point of origin to this corner right here in your sewing room. Oh, yes, that's where all the glues were and the spray mm-hmm. paints. Yep. Yeah, at that point, uh, Alex had me move everything into a, a sort of metal footlocker outside the house. Very wise. Uh, he had all the sense. Um, mm-hmm. So unfortunately, you know, perhaps start your betting now. So when I do accidentally kill myself as a customer. But yeah, so, so don't, you know, you may be in a rush to get started or really want to get to work on that project. But if you're doing anything potentially harmful or hazardous, do not skimp on the safety. Yes, completely. Um, uh, you know, things like you know, simple as uh, remember gloves when using super glue. <laughs> oh, we've been there. Oh, yes. And if you don't have gloves, remember your acetone. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I took to buying in quart cans uh, from Tap Plastics. I was using so much of the stuff mm-hmm. uh, on, on various projects. And uh, uh, that was another place I got far too much of my money as a customer. It's the local Tap Plastic chain. <laughs> so, oh, you know, well, I started doing resin casting and, and you know, mold making and things. Mm-hmm. I wanted to replicate the Saxon cuff. One of those instances I went too far was the Saxon signet ring, and then mm-hmm. I bought the, um, the Celestial Toymaker uh, uh, duplicate, and she graciously let me make a mold off it, so that I then cast from that to make cufflinks for the Lucy Saxon costume. Mm-hmm. No one knew they were there but me. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I, that, that was the first time I had to learn how to, how to use silicon mold-making materials uh, was, was for that costuming project. Hmm. Very handy stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yes, you know, so, so I spent like $30 in casting materials to make a pair of cufflinks. <laughs> Only worth it, and I'll do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there, there's a level of um, common sense that starts to go out the window when you strive for these things and get, getting all the devil in the details, and that truly is sometimes a devil in these details. Mm-hmm. Well, you mean it's a hobby. We get passionate about it, and when you start getting passionate, sometimes you lose, yeah, lose a bit of your reason. <laughs> uh, as as I said before, it's 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 harmless in the end as long as you don't spend yourself into bankruptcy. Yeah, as long as you can keep food on the table, and uh, you know you're not uh, wearing yourself out to the point of ill health. I think you're okay. Yeah, a friend of mine and I, we do have this little mantra of we do this for fun. Mm-hmm. We do this for fun. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, when you're in your 14th hour and you've just realized that you've sewn your pants together backwards, which I have done, um, it's, it's sometimes yeah, a little difficult to remember. No, really, I, I'm enjoying this. But <laughs> at the end of it, you are. You know, and, mm-hmm. and as soon as you're done with the costume, you forget all the bad moments and you look back and you're like, ah. Oh. It is true. When it's done and it's looking good and you get a good reaction, or especially if it photographs well, and I always say do camera tests. Um, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, it all vanishes. You're like, whoo. You know, I, I, I think of all the money I've spent on my doctor costumes, and I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Why did I spend so much money? And then I'll put them on, or I'll see them in a photo, and I'm like, oh, it's worth every penny. <laughs> it's a very good point about camera tests, though. I, I discovered once, fortunately, it was just in a casual uh, uh, photo shoot, that uh, this red polyester I had photographed yellow. Hmm. It was a bright scarlet red, and they came out with um, uh, it, it was still red, but had these very weird where the light hit it in certain points, the highlights, bright yellow streaks hmm. all over the place. Yeah, um, and that was that was digital photography, which I'm, of course must have been a factor. Um, but that was a surprise to both of us when we were looking at the prints afterwards. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't a costume. I try not to use artificial fibers. Just, I love vinyl and I love pleather because I can't afford real leather. Mm-hmm. Um, but when possible, I will use natural fibers in my costumes uh, just because of the breathability and the wearability and for laundering. Sure. Um, you know, for cleaning things. Mm-hmm. So. Now, what's your, what's your stance on uh, makeup and wigs to enhance a costume? Fantastic. And something I want to learn more about. Absolutely. Um, and I think, um, particularly with wigs, you know, it's, um, it can make or break... Uh, uh, a particular character sometimes i um i've only just started cosplaying characters where where wigs were needed like with von Penn, and i did joanna lumley doctor from the curse of fatal death so there was no way in hell i was going to get away with that as a brunette nice nice so for a minute there i thought you were going to say joanna lumley is purdy from the new avengers i'm like whoa that's reaching back oh ooh, i should put that on the list sometime and uh but no no i did curse of the fatal death and um so i actually decided to spring out on on getting uh, you know, a good wig, not a $10 Halloween polyester thing. Um, and a friend of mine uh, is actually a professional wig and costume person uh, for local theater and opera. And so uh, I was able to convince her to help me out with the styling. And she's also taught me a few things um, so that, that the wig looked as good as it could. Um, and uh, I think it's it, it can be a really vital part. I mean, I, if, if I'd worn that costume without the blonde wig... I think people are like, okay, what? Mm-hmm. Wearing this multicolor vest and black trousers and a jacket, and what are you supposed to be? Um, and cosmetics, uh, I'm actually planning to, uh, hoping to run a, a sort of intro to makeup thing for customers at an event next year. Hmm. Because, uh, well, particularly talking to some young customers, they're like, oh, I want to know more, but I don't know where to start and I don't know what to learn. And again, there's, there's a lot of resources online, but mm-hmm. for that, you really can't beat some hands-on time with showing, like, say, uh, I swear by, thank God, Ben Nye, Red Reducer number 2. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I'm not one of nature's blondes. The first time I put a blonde wig on for, mm-hmm. for a costume, uh, every little red patch on my face just leapt out into sharp relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was horrible. It was horrible. I just freaked. And unfortunately, my, my friend, the, the professional, said, oh, we'll just need to get you a red blocker for, for your face, for your foundation. Um, and, and so, you know, I was like, what do you mean? And she said, oh, you know, different, different foundations block different things. And, and she gave me a crash course on, you know, red blocking versus blue blocking and, and that sort of thing and correcting for, for skin issues mm-hmm. uh, without necessarily caking it on with a trowel. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and that really helped. I mean, if, if you're going to put all this time and effort into making a costume, you know, this beautiful, beautiful costume, you, you're not going to want to walk around with your hair in rats uh, and, and, and your face naked, so to speak, at least mm-hmm. for, as, as a female cosplayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in guys, you have different issues you have to deal with. So, uh, it, but it's a specialty unto itself, you know, and it's something I definitely want to learn more about. 
So if we would have some programming at Gallifrey about that, hmm. way ahead of you. Yeah, no, I've already <laughs> had a couple of people, including Vicky, uh, mention, um, hey, a special you know wig or wig and makeup panel would be good. So yes, expect to see that on the roster when we get there. And, and especially yeah, demonstrations rather than just sitting there and saying do this, do that. But yeah, I, I want to try to to encourage that. I mean, we we do to, to some panels have that, but yeah, I like to to push for that. And I've already talked to some people about some hopefully mini kind of workshop kind of. Uh, panels as well. I mean, obviously this would be more for, you know, learning certain techniques, I think more so than just wigs, but uh, I'm hoping we can really expand this and make it, you know, kind but of... There, there's thing. an art to wearing wigs too. It isn't, it isn't just bung it on your head and, and hope for the best, you know, so, but we'll talk more about that, you know. Oh so yeah, no, there's all, all kinds of little tricks and I've covered uh, some of the, in some of the other podcasts already and... Oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's not completely blind, but it's one of those things where sometimes trial and error is all it takes to. It's always a, that learning curve man it never seems to end when i no. learn something new then there's something else i've got to figure out mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I say learning is a basic life function when you stop learning you die it is true it is true i mean it's yeah no and sometimes you're like oh come on how much more da, 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 can i have a handle on this and it's like no in theory you know if you stop if you stop learning you stop growing yeah yeah i agree and just touching on, you know, why why cosplay and why costume, and I think it's it's a really great expression of fanishness. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, part of my reason, actually, when I started analyzing why I cosplay uh, for, for another project, I realized part of what I was doing was saying, I'm making it clear I'm not here because I've been dragged here by my boyfriend. Because you know, when I, when I first started getting into science fiction uh, fan activity in the in the 80s, right. That the stereotype, you know, girls weren't into science fiction. Oh, yeah. And if there's a woman at a convention, she'd clearly been dragged there by her boyfriend. And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm here for my own free will. How can I make this clear? Aha, costuming. Um, and, and, and I didn't realize that at the time, but that was definitely one of the things that got me into it. Mm-hmm. And as, you, yeah, as we've touched on, as a way of connecting with a beloved character or, you know, the favorite show um, that, that you don't get in any other way short of perhaps writing you know writing fan fiction mm-hmm. there's another great way of, of connecting uh with, with a particular show um and it's in it's uh the skills that you pick up are useful as i said in, in other aspects of like i could make my own street clothes if i wanted to mm-hmm. and as i come the zombie apocalypse hopefully these sewing skills will, will save me from being thrown to the zombies first mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, I, you know, I I can make clothes. I I have useful skills, um, and and it's very it's and, and it's it's a form of creativity that I really enjoy. Because sometimes I mean I'm not despite these weird little mishmash costumes I've done the original concepts, I, I I don't consider myself a great designer. But you know I can look at a costume that somebody else has designed and analyze it and go, okay, how do I recreate this? Mm-hmm. And set out to do it as best I can. And and that and that in itself, it you think oh it's just recreation, but it is a creative exercise, because you know you you, you don't have the notes, and and the and the knowledge of how the original uh, seamstress put it all together. Yeah, or rarely. Mm-hmm. Or rarely, yes, yes. Visits from Saint Louise Page. Uh, yes. Aside. Yes. Uh, that was yeah, that that was a historic moment as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. When she was at Gallifrey One with her binder full of fabric scraps and and reference photographs. I know she was so giving and so cool about it. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sigh. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Sean we need to bring her back again. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, I've always been gently pushing to get some of the makeup and costume people from Doctor Who. I'm like, hey, Sean, and you know, it just never quite works out. But you know, hope springs eternal. I keep kind of you know 
putting the nudge out there. Mm-hmm. But you're right, uh, Louise back would be awesome. And actually, uh, I've 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 thought that we 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 could definitely do with more of that. Mm-hmm. She seemed so quite pleasantly surprised uh, at the reception too. Mm-hmm. You know, to hear that there were people at this convention who would come just to, just because she was there, not not really because of anyone else in the guest list, mm-hmm. but because they were cosplayers and they wanted to meet the customer. And it's kind of like uh, I think Paul Cornell once said it was it was always pleasing the the reaction you get from from meeting other Doctor Who fans because writers don't usually get really serious accolades and and fan squee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, so so it was nice when he got it, you know, uh, at Gallifrey, particularly as the just during the wilderness years. Uh, I, I remember the first time I met Paul Cornell. I totally lost my shit, but that's kind of <laughs> I am. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, it's it's quite nice. People don't do that very often. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if he's tired of it now, but <laughs> that was a few years ago. Yeah. Well, if who fans are good for anything, it's recognizing the power of the writer. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yes, that that starts to skew very much off of. A I was going to say that, that, that those guys over on the east coast. I think they got that covered with that little pod shark thing of theirs, don't they? That's true. That's true. Or Radio Free Scar. They're they're good. Oh, that's true. Too. Yes, mm-hmm. listen to them occasionally as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, and, and maybe you feel you've already covered this, but I also like to ask, what's the most important thing you've learned so far doing this hobby? Um, well, we have touched on it briefly. I'd say the the whole you never done learning. There's always something new to learn, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think actually, I, I think one of the most valuable emotional things I've learned is that uh, it's really pointless to be jealous. Mm-hmm. As, I, as I say, there's always going to be someone better than you. You go <laughs> to them and go, "Gosh, I wish I could have done that." Mm-hmm. And you know what you do? Walk up to them and ask them how they did it. Mm-hmm. Right. Has, that been, has it been clear by the fact that we've been on the phone for uh, nearly two hours now? Yes. Um, Customers do love talking about their costumes, and um, you know, and I, I get very ashamed of myself because sometimes I'll look at something someone else has done and, and and secretly be writhing with jealousy on the inside. Um, but like that, that's not productive. I'm going to go up to them and congratulate them and acknowledge what a great costume that is, and mm-hmm. and then go, how did you do that? And hopefully, I'll I'll learn something that that I'll take away and and that will be helpful for me. Completely. I'd, I'd much rather I'd much rather celebrate uh, someone else's work than than gnaw on my own liver, as the saying goes. Yes, yes, entirely, completely, yes. Yeah. Um, well, um, I, I guess that about wraps it up. Unless you have any other final thoughts. Oh uh, no, no, I, I I think I think we've covered everything. <laughs> yes, the gamut. Oh, and is there any um, place online people can check you out beyond uh, you know like a Facebook, a blog beyond DW Cosplay? Oh, well, you can find me at my little online domain, scaro.com. Mm-hmm. That's where I am. Uh, I bought that domain name, gosh, about 15 years ago. Nice. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and for the longest time, people go, what the heck is that? Now everyone gets it, which is quite amusing. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you find me at scaro.com. And there I have links to several costume diaries for, for costumes that I've made, you know, actual breakdowns of, of what I've done for both science fiction and, and other costumes. And then also a collection of stuff of interest to um, role players. And uh, I have an online archive of 1960s fashion images, which is another interest of mine. Oh, nice. Yes, you know, just offered for reference for for anyone with a similar interest. Yep, that's where I am, the home planet of the Daleks. Awesome. I'll make sure to post that link as well when this episode goes up. Um, Well, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for being on. You're very welcome. It's been great. And we'll be back next week with more Costume Talk here at Costume Station Zero. 